Greetings, Archons. Welcome to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss various topics regarding combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake and Sir Dan. Welcome back to Sanctimonious, everyone. This is Jake, and I am joined by two, not just one, but two of the brightest minds in the Keyforge community. As always, we have uh, my loyal co-host, Dan Johnson, back with us, and we are also joined by Alex Slotnick. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Hi, Jake. Totally a blinding light over here. I am stunned. <laughs> stunned, I, I say. I was very much drug. I had to come kicking and screaming. Yeah, let's be clear. Drug, not drugged. <laughs> that's important to, to talk about that in 2019. You have to make sure that's clarified. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, now that we're all on the same page, uh, this week's episode will be all about archetypes and what that means in a game like Keyforge. So uh, look forward to that coming up as our main topic. But before we do, let's dive into a weekly inspiration, one from all three of us. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and go. So this is Dan, a.k.a. Sir Dan, a.k.a. Barely Awake right now, a.k.a. Doing All the Things. All right, so inspiration this week. Our Discord is still amazing. I'm going to be a broken record. Uh, people are great. It is so amazing. So we've had some graphic designers lend their talents to us. And uh, you might notice our Twitter icon and our Discord server button kind of got some upgrades. That was thanks to ShapeStation. Thank you so much, man. Um, he did that out of the goodness of his heart. We, uh, I helped him get a Sanctimonious playmat shipped out to him in time for Krakow. And as a thank you, he, uh, he, he's, he's been making some really killer logos and mats for us. And then I also want to thank Beehawk, who has also been just killing it with some really cool uh, playmat designs. And then also Boulevard Paper Fight from Help From Future Self has uh, percolated a few ideas through that he's working on for us. So hopefully soon I'm working with a online retailer to get those available and up there. So anybody else that, uh, wants to get a hold of a Sanctimonious playmat, if you weren't enthralled with the clean blue and yellow, we've got some really cool ones coming. You can come check them out in the discord. We've been sharing them in there. So yeah, discord. Awesome. People in discord. Awesome. Uh, join the inner sanctum. Alex. Oh yeah. So uh, I would also, I would second just saying like those designs that I've come up with the play mats were amazing, especially because uh, I, I put together the initial run of the play mats and uh, man, I've just been put to shame here. My, 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 I have zero graphic design skill though. So they have uh, really eclipsed anything I would have come up with. And I'm excited to see those start coming out and I'm definitely going to have to pick one up, even though I already have too many play mats. Um, I would say for my inspiration, it's just, um, I would say just the Keyforge community in general and at large, I've been, uh, practicing a lot cause I am going to end up going to St. The St. Louis ball tour and just, Ooh. uh, the, uh, the talent of the people who are playing, uh, I played against, got to jam some games with strong link. Um, he was gracious uh, to kind of run, run some games with me to help me prep and help me decide which deck I was going to take. And. Man, uh, I will say strongly, uh, for those of you who don't know, creator of the Crucible Tracker, uh, member of Team SAS, really great guy, member of the Sanctimonious uh, 
Discord community as well. And I was just uh, really inspired by our games, really charged up for some high-level Keyforge uh, at the Vault Tour. That's awesome, man. I'm so glad that you're going to be able to make it down. We'll get to hang out and play some games. Oh, yeah. One thing I'm really excited about is actually uh, you, I, and Beehawk are teaming up for one of those side events. Uh, so it's a, our pool of death come to life. Hopefully we'll be able to take it down. So my weekly inspiration is I too have been preparing for the vault tour. It's my first Archon vault tour. So um, it's really the first time through the course of Keyforge that I've wanted to bring the same turn deck to a tournament. I've kind of always just used a different deck each time I make it out to a live event just because, you know, I've accumulated so many and don't want them just to gather dust. Um, but I was able to use the insight available to me in the Sanctimonious Discord to help narrow down to the deck I want to use. And I've now played it in three live events as practice, and I've gone nine and two with it. So that f- feels pretty good. Uh, however, both of my losses came to uh, Proclamation, which my deck just has zero ways to interact with. So it's just like, if, if I see that on the list, I know I'm paying eight for keys the whole game. And I just don't have many creatures either. So it's been tough, uh, but it's been fun just to kind of like work out those matchups. Uh, and hopefully at the Vault Tour, I'll just get lucky and dodge some of those bad ones. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. Just practicing a lot, enjoying that, finally hanging some chains on my deck. Uh, it's been fun to sort of really dive into one deck and all that has to offer. Yeah, just rub that in. Yeah, just all in my face, putting chains on decks. <laughs> Thanks, Jake. <sighs> <sighs> all right. All right, so let's get on to the main topic. This is what we're all here for. We're going to talk not about cards to come. We're going to talk about decks that currently exist. So deck archetypes. Um, We have the definition of an archetype as being a very typical example of a certain person or thing, or in this case, a deck. Uh, So the nature of Keyforge decks is to have multiple game plans due to randomness of deck creation. We are not custom making these decks. We're not slotting in our own cards. We are taking what we're given and we're making the best out of it. Uh, most decks aren't following a single game plan, but have sets of things they try to do, and most decks will fall into at least two of the broader categories that we're going to go over. Um, so here's the question for you two. Uh, deck archetype versus play archetype. Do decks determine how we play them, or do players determine how a deck is played in Keyforge? Go, Jake. All right. He's throwing it to me first. Um my personal feeling on this is that decks will be most optimally played probably in one style. Um, finding out like what the strength of those decks are uh, is likely going to, as you play a deck more and more, sort of force you down similar lines and similar paths as you see what you can have the most success with. That said, I think players really have a lot, um, can really make that sing or not, depending on the type of player you are. So I think it's really more a question of, finding a deck that fits with you uh, more so than like trying to fit your play style into any given deck. Well said. Alex, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, so I would say with uh, play style, deck play style versus player play style, I really feel like um, 
Yes, decks. T- I think that decks have an optimum way of being played. Usually, not always. I think some decks are like kind of directionless. They're little voids. Um, but I think that good decks in general tend to have a consistent theming or a consistent way that they want to be played. Um, what I will say is that I think that player, I think player uh, play style affects decks as much as uh, the what the decks themselves. We've seen this a lot in the vault tours, I think, especially in the final rounds and the adaptive play where they switch decks. We've seen uh, players play a contr- a deck that seems very controlling, like a rush deck or vice versa, and it's a really in- it's really fascinating to see that. Um, to see that happening and to see really the effect that a player can have on how on the way that they're crafting their hands on the houses that they choose to call regularly or the cards that they choose to hold or play and how big of a difference that can make um, has has made me really believe that like I think that players do actually affect uh, can affect and even like you know uh, you know you're you give your best deck to somebody and they might not have as good of success with it because there's some somewhere in the middle of deck play style and player play style. You found like this kind of uh, synergy between the way that you want to play and the way that a deck wants to play. No, it's very well said. And I'll just add um, like a perfect example of this. No, I'm on this. Uh, so Lady Aurora was having an issue facing this one deck and her local chain bound and she kept losing to it over and over again. So we were playing on TCO and she sent me the deck list to pilot it against her. And apparently I played it completely differently than the person she played against. It's like, <laughs> it's not even like I'm playing the same deck. Like she waxed me all three games. She's like, man, if he would, he would just play it like you play it, then I'd have no problems. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, I mean, it's shame. I guess I just did not, I did not have that deck figured out as the uh, original pilot. But uh, while we're on that really quick, Huge shout out to Lady Aurora who double day two'd uh, Krakow and also Flibber who made it to the finals on the sealed day. So congrats, ET. That was a heck of a run for both of you. And um, I know we had a few other people that were there. I think Vince, after making the finals one, I think went 4-2. Yeah, anyways, it was really exciting again, once again, to have, have some dogs in the hunt at the VT. So well done, Sanctimonious crew and people that hang out in the Inner Sanctum. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, there's definitely play styles. I, I am a weird person in that I like silly combos and silly kind of off kilter strategies. Like I'm probably, I would probably do a lot better if I just played straightforward, like strong decks. Like I think I have the mind for it, but man, I just have so much fun making wonky, weird things work. So that's, you know, that's my uh, whole Martian generosity key abduction obsession. And I've got a new deck that I've been working on lately. That's uh, pretty fun and maybe might actually marry the two. We'll see. Time will tell. Yeah. All right. Let's get down to our next topic. So we're going to actually look at a few of the archetypes. We're kind of labeling them, but we're giving them loose labels because like we said, you don't actually get to construct these decks. So you're just kind of taking what the deck gives you and you're kind of trying to figure out what it is. So first we've got what is, you know, in card games um, considered maybe like an aggro strategy or a beat down. In this game, it's kind of been called the racing deck, the NASCAR deck, that kind of thing. So rush it's characterized by high amber gain and cards that lend towards an overall plan of wanting to finish the game quickly, often accompanied by sticky boards or high amount of threat removal. Um, so how does it win? It just generates more amber than the opponent can answer. Let's go to Alex this time. Alex, what's what's your kind of experience with the racing traditional beatdown aggro deck? Um, I think the experience 
experience I've had has been to see that this this strategy alone is often not enough. Like it's it's kind of a in a way I think rushes. I mean, like all kind of like all aggro decks, it's just trying to variance you variance you out of the game. Like it's just going to generate and so much amber so consistently that if you have a bad draw, it makes it like just debilitating. And that's how the, it's a really interesting deck to play against and to learn how to, I think, manage. I think it's one of the more, I th- personally, I think it's one of the more popular styles. But here's here's a really interesting thing to think, uh, and I'll, I'll bring this out and just ask, see what you guys think about it. My my only con- my only problem with this archetype and in Key Forge is basically all good decks that we've seen at Vault Tours, for the most part, there are certainly um, standouts of this, but almost universally, all the decks that are making it far in the Archon events at Voltors are high Amber generation decks. Um, there are, like I said, some combo decks and maybe some like some more controlling decks that don't generate that that quick of Amber. But I would say that like the majority of them seem to have a very regularly high, like uh, you know, in uh, AERC, a high E score Amber expected Amber generation. Yeah, like looking at uh, Lady Caffeina's um, numbers here. For Krakow alone, the average E of the decks that were in the top 16, the average E score is 23.5. So I mean, that's a pretty high score. And the top score was 32, and the bottom score was um, 12. <laughs> and I think that was... No, it wasn't uh, It wasn't Lady Aurora's. That's too bad. I think they were pretty low. But uh, not them exactly. They were at 17.5. But yeah, it's like the 12 one... I, I kind of want to look at that deck now, but 23 and a half is kind of the median. That's kind of like everybody's in like the 20s. Seems to be where you want to be for a Vault Tour deck for Amber generation because you just, you don't want the game to, you don't want grindy games all day. And that kind of takes care of that. So Jake, what's your, uh, what's your take on the archetype here? I think one of the reasons that this archetype comes across as so dominant in when you look at those scores you see high amber generation across the board and it looks like racing decks are just the decks to beat and i agree with that that they're you know high amber generation is hugely important obviously however i think that we're sort of giving more weight to like this specific type of deck that is just trying to burst you out because we see those scores and we just assume, okay, these are just like racing decks, plain and simple. And what I hope we're going to do as we talk more about this is to sort of show that like there are more nuanced ways to look at Keyforge decks um, to where I think what I'm trying to say is a lot of these decks aren't just racing decks. They're also control decks. You know, they're also controlling the board. They're controlling the amber. Uh, they're comboing out in some sort of way. Um but you see them winning games quickly. You see them forging like, okay, well, it's just a racing deck. And if you just like classify this huge broad group as racing decks, then like, of course, you're going to see a lot doing very well. Yep. I would even add to that. Um, like, I think, the, I think the thing is like all decks in Keyforge are racing decks, right? Because that's the whole point of the game. And so what we, have to, what we have to start thinking about is what are the nuances within that? Because I mean, sometimes control decks in Keyforge race because they stick five creatures and the right thing to do is reap five times a turn for until they win the game. And that's the, and you're just like, you're, you're, a, you know, I've played decks that are usually really good at uh, generating Amber. And sometimes my whole board gets removed and my whole game plan just falls apart. And I'm suddenly on the back foot where I'm like, I can't generate any Amber um, 
quickly enough to come come out of that so then it becomes like they're doing the racing so that's like that's what's weird about that terminology to me and why i think i prefer uh if we're i think that it is a thing in keyforge but i think it's more about burst um like so cards like virtuous works ghostly hand um may, those cards what the reason i consider those rush is because they all they do is generate amber without also uh do like really doing anything else. They don't interact with the board. Um, Ghostly Hand vaguely interacts with your opponent's Amber, but it's pretty situational and most of the time doesn't go off. So it's like, it's all about Amber gain. It doesn't affect board or anything else in the game. So that's that's kind of, that's a card that I would consider to fall inside that rush. But those are very, those are pretty specific, honestly. Yeah, and then I mean, you've got the Hunting Witches, you've got Dust Pixies, you've got the Regrowth and that kind of thing for that high Amber generation, those in the full moon, if you really, really want to get super bursty. But yeah, so no, I mean, rush rush deck, racing deck, I mean, yeah, generally we're just talking about high amber generation. You're just generating amber very quickly, and you have the ability to burst for, say, six to eight amber in a turn just out of nowhere, just by playing cards out of hand. So I think that's what we kind of consider that rush kind of deck. So anything further on this one, or are we good to move to the next archetype? Think we're good to move on? Yep. All right, so now we have control. Um, control is characterized by a high amount of amber control and disruptive artifacts or creatures or actions. So how does it win? It achieves a game state in which the opponent no longer has the chance of winning the game by answering all threats through amber, board, hand, and or turn disruption. So kind of your classic coda, you know, dish shadows, whatever kind of deck, those kinds of decks where, um, yeah, you're just kind of building up a big advantage. You're slowing down your opponent until the point where you just kind of control the game. Uh, so Alex, what's, what's your experience with control decks? I don't like playing them. That's my, no, uh, I, uh, I think that they're really interesting and I think control is a really interesting archetype in key, in Keyforge. I think it's all, it's all about disruptive effects. Um, I think dis has been king of control for that reason, because you have, you, you know, you have your succubus, you have ember imp, um, you have these you have things like control the week, things that are really throwing your opponent off their game plan or really putting the um, putting uh, the putting you in the driver's seat. Um, I think I, I struggle with these decks sometimes on a personal level because they feel more about I, I like asking questions more than I like having answers. I'm okay, I'm just so kind of okay if I lose the game because I didn't have an answer. Um, and I feel like usually control decks are all about that. They're about, I have the toolbox of all the answers and I'm just going to always have a response to anything you do. Yeah, no, that's very much the thing. I, I don't like the decks that ask questions. I prefer to have the answers. So uh, Jake, what's your take on the control decks? So when we think about these archetypes, just in general, I think what we're really doing is sort of shoehorning Keyforge decks into these already established terms that we have from, you know, magic, uh, in my experience, and or, you know, I mean, and I assume the same is true in other games. Uh, and I think control is one in which the way we think about control in other games very rarely manifests itself in a Keyforge deck. Um, like in magic, for instance, like you might want to create a deck that's so controlling that like all it has is answer and maybe only a singular threat to win the game. Uh, because you just like want to get down to the distillation of the idea of control. Um, and in Keyforge, right, it's very rare that you're going to have that. You're going to end up with, you know, 
some things that don't fit right into that and are more seen as threats in almost any deck. So uh, I think control decks can be very, very good. I think it's very rare that we see anything that really fits perfectly into this. And it's much more likely that we see something that's uh, a little bit hybrid, a little bit more mid-rangey, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Where sure, it might be gen- it might be able to win the game from generating that board state uh, to where they've stopped the opponent from doing what they want. Uh, but a lot of times you've got to go another way, just as Alex was saying. Yeah, and I think from our Discord group, I think B-Hawk's probably our premier control player. His mastery of playing disc decks and just using the the disc suite of creatures arise and all those kinds of things where he can, you know, kind of play out a regular game. And then all of a sudden at the end, just kind of overwhelm you with like a hecatome arise play or something like that, where he's kind of just kept you off, kept you off, kept you off until he gets himself a huge advantage. I think that's kind of how Keyforge control works a little bit. And B Hawk is definitely a master of that game. All right. Now for my, favorite archetype near and dear to my heart the combo archetype so the combo is characterized by a game plan of trying to win the game through key cheats or some form of lockout Um, how does it win you assemble the combo pieces that result in an instant victory or gain an insurmountable advantage and yes i feel so good when martian generosity key abduction goes off i just had it today against shabazz jenkins where i threw a hail mary martian generosity in a deck with two key abductions I had one key abduction in hand. The other one was in discard. I had zero cards in deck. It was like 18 cards in discard. I drew 12 cards and I found it for the double key abduction victory. And that felt so good. Um, Jake, combo decks and you, how do you like them? Like combo decks generally, again, thinking about how archetypes are seen in games outside of Keyforge and how we apply it here. Uh, combo decks usually require specific answers and because we aren't creating our own deck it's difficult to fight these i think that's why you've seen combo a combo deck essentially has been uh one of the two things that's been nerfed so far in the game and so i think they're inherently one of the strongest archetypes i probably believe that the best possible decks based on the algorithm are going to be decks that are really strong in other ways and also have a way to finish the game in, through a combo, whether that's Martian Generosity, Key Abduction, or some other form of lock with, I don't know, Heart of the Forest or something else, um, because you don't need to have your whole deck working towards the combo. It can be something that just sometimes comes up uh, and you win, and sometimes you can just win without it. Yep, and I know Alex is a premier combo player as he's been piloting a new deck recently against me where uh, he's rocking the uh, Battle Fleet. Does it have Key Abduction? It does have Key Abduction, right? Yeah, it's double Battle Fleet, Key Abduction, Triple Mother, double Sloppy Lab work. Yeah, he builds up a really big archive slash hand. And then on top of that, it also has Untamed for some you know fun bursty Chota plays as well. So yeah, Alex, talk about combo and your experience. So I've had I've had a bit of experience. I've been playing. I've been I substantial Holden of the Acropolis is my combo, my best combo deck. Um, it does. It's a really so I like combo a lot in Keyforge. And what's what's really interesting is there's a lot. I think there's a lot of combo that's present in Keyforge that isn't necessarily like I win the game. But there's things like Drummer Ganger, which is like a combo, but all it does is generate. Like I'm gonna generate five amber a turn or something or it's like i'm gonna remove all your board and then do that um and so i I think that combo is really 
really interesting for that reason. It's one of the, I think one of the most present pieces throughout all Keyforge decks. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of combo that happens in Keyforge, and I really like playing the this one that I have. Um, oh, and uh, that was what I was going to say. Um, so here's an interesting thing. I consider Hunting Witch a combo card, not a not a rush card, uh, because Hunting Witch requires you have a particular set of things in your hand, and it works best if you can follow it up with Chota or Key Charge, which is more of a combo thing than it is a rush thing. Um, and, and at least in my opinion, and that's what's so what Jake has been saying of like it's so hard to pin certain things down in Keyforge as what they what they really do or what they're like what to call them by these you know these names that we've used from other games because is hunting witch a combo thing or is it a is it a rush thing? Yeah, and I can see that too. Yeah, I mean hunting witch is another thing. Like it's you know the number one rule in Keyforge is kill the witch, any witch, <laughs> just kill it. Absolutely, the newest honorary witch coming out of the logos lineup is the uh, guy that we have lovingly termed Sutterwin. If you untap with a Sutterwin, it's usually bad news for your opponent as well. Um, but yeah, combos. I love combos. Martian generosity key abduction has been my favorite combo in the previous set before the nerf of said library access and Nepenthe seed. I had three library access Nepenthe seed decks because, uh, well, two of them weren't good. They were good if you hit the combo. And they were pretty average without it. And then I had one good deck that's good without the combo. But if you hit the combo, like the game was just over. Like you, I, I don't think I ever lost a game that I pulled the combo off because the rest of the deck was strong enough to just make it that if I was holding pretty much my entire deck in my hands, I just I couldn't lose. I had all the answers to whatever my opponent would try to do. <laughs> so I hope so. Yeah. No, it was really good, and I haven't touched it since the nerf. I need to play it again because I think it still is like a good deck. I had a good record with it outside. Like I probably had twenty games tracked on. No, I think I have like seventeen games tracked on Crucible Tracker, and I think I probably only hit um, the actual combo like three or four times out of those seventeen games. But I still had a really good record with it, so it still operates well outside of the combo. But it was something I like to look for in Keyforge decks. I want a good Keyforge deck that also has the ability to do something unfair. And so some of those unfair things are things like Ganger Knot, um, well, Ganger Knot, Ganger Chieftain and Drummer Knot combo is a nice unfair thing to do. Martian Generosity Key Abduction is a nice unfair thing to do. Um, let's see here. The one I pulled on Alex the other day, the old Dominator Bobble Witch of the Eye Control the Weak combo is a f- fun unfair thing to do. My least favorite combo to have happen <laughs> to me. I'm like, this is brutal. <laughs> yeah, that deck has two fog banks to make sure the uh, Witch of the Eye is protected for a couple turns too, which is pretty nice. Um, but yeah, like if you can find a deck that just plays well outside of a combo, but then it has a combo that can just be gravy, gravy every once in a while, you put yourself in a really advantageous position. And so that's kind of where my love of the combo goes. It just kind of gives you that opportunity to play towards something that's kind of unfair and just gives you such a huge advantage if you pull it off. But, you know, you, your deck can't depend on it. I've learned my lesson there in the, uh, the multitude of Martian Generosity Key Abduction decks I've tried out. <laughs> you have to be able to play a <laughs> fair game outside of the combo and still compete. Otherwise, you're just going to lose a lot because combos are combos and you have to get the pieces and the pieces aren't always in the top to middle half of the deck. All right, uh, so next one we have our mid-range tempo decks. So tempo, we're going to characterize this by an overall strategy of building to high-impact turns that swing game state into favor of the tempo deck. This can be accomplished by staccato bursts of amber generation, 
putting out many high-threat targets or large amounts of archival or card draw to set up massive swing turns. How does it win? Mid-range decks have the most flexibility to change their gameplay based on their opponent's deck. Typically, a mid-range deck will play a more control style against faster racing decks, and then will try to outrace control decks and can play either role against another combo deck. All right, Alex, I think this is this is kind of your your like home space right here. Tell us tell us about these tempo decks. Yeah, I mean this is this is I've gained a lot of experience with this style of deck with playing Senbrow, my most piloted deck, probably my best deck. It's just powerful. The way that I think of tempo in Keyforge, it's usually about amber state or key state, and you're trying to set up the game in a, in such a way that you you don't like I can take a turn where I do nothing and I'm still ahead because I've gained so much advantage through um, I'm ahead two keys or I'm, you know, uh, I have just this really disgusting board of sticky sanctum guys that can both deal with threats and generate amber. And so tempo to me, uh, I think that I think that a lot I think that tempo is probably the most prevalent factor in Keyforge. Um, and especially at the high level, knowing knowing when you can afford to take a slow turn um, and when you can when you need to go faster is, uh, a, I mean, I would say a clutch, uh, a pivotal play skill. But it's also, I think, decks that are really good at this, are really good at creating this advantage, are some of the best deck out, out there. I look at decks like Bombfoot, um, you know, uh, that's Brooks Clark's deck that really sets up yeah, it does some disgusting amber generation, but really what it does is put out consistent high threats, and that throws the, his throws opponents off playing it because they have to keep responding to that instead of trying to do their own game plan. Yeah, no, it's it's very apt. I think it was either you or B Hawk that coined the term. The ABCs of Keyforge is always be checking. Yeah, um, that, that that was my that's my that's my motto. Always be checking. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So it was you, Alex. So I'll attribute that to you. I think I heard B hockey's it the other day and he properly credited it to you. I just couldn't remember which way it was. Um, but yeah, anytime you're putting yourself in check and you're forcing your opponent to, you know, have to think about if they can prevent your key forge, like you're kind of messing with their turn. Cause anytime you're just presenting threats or issues that they have to respond to and they're not able to just play their turn, like, you know, your happiest turns in key forge is when your opponent gets to like five Amber and gives you a turn to set something up, like where you don't have to really answer any threats. Like you just have a free turn to play your hand the most optimally, use your board the most optimally. But say your opponent gets to six and drops a Dusk Witch, and now you have to de- decide whether you want to take them off key or remove the Dusk Witch. Like you're getting way ahead in that game. All right, Jake, your turn. Yeah, so I think about mid range and tempo decks maybe a little bit differently. Um, sticking with these the general outline of archetypes i think that what we're really trying to get at here uh, when you zoom out a little bit is these are decks that are hybrids of the other of at least two of the other type of decks so it could be you know an aggro deck mixed with control elements um, or a combo deck mixed with control elements or a combo deck mixed with aggro elements uh, like Alex was talking about with you know maybe these hunting witch decks that can just burst out a crazy amount of amber with a specific combo or sequencing. So yeah, so I would say the best way to think about like what your deck is is to go back and think about how you end up winning the game. 
if you typically win because you just have generated more amber than your opponent could deal with, it's an aggro deck. If you win the game because you start out maybe behind, but you slowly build up to an uh, undefeatable board state and game state, that's more of a control deck. If you win because of some massive uh, swing, amber generation from a combo or an instant win, that's a combo deck. And then if you're really closer to 50-50, sometimes you win because you're controlling the game. Sometimes you win because you just were able to burst out. Or maybe you have a combo coming in here. Uh, but the other times, you don't even need the combo because you just get that game with the control win. I think that is sort of how you know you've got like a mid-range or a hybrid deck on your hands. And I think you know most decks have a little bit of two, but you know it's probably pretty rare that you have a deck that can really successfully pull off the strategy you need when you need it to. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's the beauty of Keyforge. Just every game is different. Every deck you face is different. So no two games are really, really ever alike. You kind of get an idea because based on these archetypes, you can kind of start to prepare yourself for the different decks you are going to face and how you need to pilot your own deck against them. But again, every deck is completely unique, so you're not going to face the same situation. So you're just more getting experience in learning what your deck likes to do as you're playing and getting more reps with it and how it kind of matches up against some of these general archetypes yeah and i think i think a big thing of this is uh I, knowing at the beginning when you know if you're playing archon and i you look at your opponent's archon card it's being able to identify what is their what is their deck trying to do mostly and how do i need to play my deck to win this matchup and that's a really unique thing to keyforge i think like your deck you have to play it differently sometimes based on your opponent's game plan. Like if my opponent is playing a Heart of the Forest deck, I might have to play like vastly different than if I'm playing a another deck that's just going to try it. Like it seems like their overall game plan is generate Amber really quickly. Yeah, I agree with that. And just going off of, of that comment, um, even if you've identified that you're playing against a control deck, right? Because the, that's the general archetype it's in. Uh, there are going to be vast variations between control decks. It might be a control deck, like you said, Heart of Forest, that's reliant more upon artifacts specifically. And that's going to require one thing versus a control deck uh, that's just like got a bunch of sticky creatures that's just going to be uh, knocking you off the board in that way. So being able to identify the archetype, but then also the specific, uh, the specific threats to watch out for is huge. And I think that's not just if you're playing one of these hybrid decks that could play in different strategies. Like even if you're playing just the most pure racing deck possible, where you're just going to put out as much Amber as you can and hope your opponent can't deal. Like there are still going to be, you know, specific cards to watch out for specific ways. You may want to sequence your turns or when you gain that Amber uh, based upon things you see in their list. So I think that is definitely a universal rule, uh, not just applicable to these more hybrid oriented decks. Yes, agreed. So yeah, so these are just kind of super general archetypes. Like I said, we're not really, you can't really, tr really put a label on most Keyforge decks because, you know, they're randomly generated. Well, not randomly. They're algorithmically generated. So you're not, you're, you have zero control over what your deck's going to come out to be. But the control you do have is how you pilot it, kind of what decisions you make. Um, I know for me, AOA the decks feel so much more, there feels like there's so much more depth in the decision-making in AOA decks. Um, 
a lot a lot of things matter a lot more deploy gives you a lot more options I feel like there's more ways to recur things which things you should recur um yeah just the breadth and depth of knowledge that you really need to have to pilot some decks with those kinds of options is a lot of fun it makes me come back to this game more and more any other final thoughts alex before we move on no no (laughs) (laughs) that's it i said it all i mean what else is there to say i've got a couple final thoughts if, if you guys don't mind go for it okay so i think we started out with a definition of archetype which is that a very typical example of certain person or thing um and as dan just mentioned like there's no specific example of a type of keyforge deck you know they are each unique so this sort of experiment is a little bit flawed from the start however i still hope it was useful um just as as sort of speaking in more general terms uh to go a little bit more in depth besides just you know okay this is like a racing deck and then everything else or whatever Uh, i do think it is a useful exercise and i really strongly believe that you know there aren't specific terms for all these variations of control decks and aggro decks uh, right now. All these, the multiple decks that fit within each archetype. Um, but I hope that this is something people continue to explore. And I imagine if Keyforge stays strong, active, and vibrant uh, two years from now, uh, we really might have that terminology to be able to speak about this game uh, in, in much more descriptive terms. Excellent. I think we did this in enough time to actually do a third segment. Ooh. I that third segment is one that has been by the wayside for a while, but it's coming back. I'm excited. Oh, Sam. One stood against many. All right. I think this one's yours, Jake. Hit us with it. All right, here we go. You're crazy. Power creep is a concept that is, is, exists in a lot of games. It's as more cards, more expansions come out, uh, the designers have increased the strength of those subsequent sets and subsequent products. Uh, and there is a lot of cynicism amongst the consumer community, and perhaps rightfully so, uh, that the reason power creep exists is so that the consumers are more incentivized to buy that new product. And I'm here to tell you that, in my estimation, power creep is not only a good thing for Keyforge, but I think that it is necessary uh, for the strength and livelihood of this game to continue forward. Interesting. No, I so I can definitely not call you completely crazy in this. I mean... I feel like Code and AOA were pretty fairly balanced. Um, I know there's there's a faction out there that really believes that Code is just far more powerful, but I don't think the divide is quite as far. I just think the way they attack things is a little different. And then the top-end Coda decks, um, the efficiency which they generate Amber from just playing cards is kind of hard for some of the uh, mid- to upper-level AOA decks to kind of keep up with, since... Um, we lost a lot of the good steel cards and some of the good capture cards in AOA. Um, but overall, I think it was a pretty good transition from one set to the other, but definitely going forward, 
you kind of want to see that power creep because you don't want Coda to reign supreme and really box people out that may join in the game two sets down the road where they're not even, you know, able to really find a good Coda deck if that's still all the rage or, you know, just to keep things moving and keep new interactions happening. Yeah, if a, if a set ever came out that was just like substantially behind the other sets, that would be really sad because, you know, the uh, FFG guys would have spent all that time designing something and then it doesn't, you know, compete. So it probably, I mean, it's still going to sell, but it's not going to have the lifeblood that it probably needs to. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I'm not going to go so far as to say Jake isn't crazy. I, I think that's true. <laughs> but uh, I, I actually, with this point, I do I do think that you're pretty right on the money. I mean, I think that power creep is extremely necessary for a game, right? Like, that's how you introduce new uh, design space that's interesting. And unfor- uh, unfortunately, a lot of times, I think things get labeled power creep. That's just, this is a strong effect. But the reality is, Games need strong mechanics. Um, I mean, if we're talking worlds collide, ward is an extremely powerful keyword, but I wouldn't call it like, and you might call that power creep because, hey, like Coda didn't have warding and AOA doesn't have warding, but it's like, I don't really see it that way. I see it as, hey, these are introducing new, interesting design space for us to explore. Um, And honestly, I, I will, I will actually... I'm going to do a mini OSAM in OSAM. It's, it's inception OSAM. Uh, I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't think that AOA went far enough. I really don't. I think that they put way too many too way too little Amber control at the common rarity. And it just overall created, I think what it did was create a perception that AOA isn't as strong, even though there are a really good AOA decks out there currently. And if we opened a million, AOA decks, there would probably be some really, you know, gangbuster ones created by the algorithm. But in general, people just haven't been opening it because of the perception. And I think part of the reason it got that perception was a failure to do power creep well enough. Um, They needed more power creep in AOA. They needed more interesting uh, abilities, more interesting keywords deploy is not super i don't know about you guys that does not get me up in the morning uh being able to deploy <laughs> my creatures yeah i'm i'm with you 100 percent, alex i agree that so don't get me wrong i don't want to give the wrong message like i think aoa is a beautifully designed set uh for sealed it's amazing oh it's yeah. really improved the sealed format but even if it's equal and i think like that is probably the best case scenario even the people who are you know strong advocates for aoa competitively are generally not saying it's better than coda they're saying no it can compete it's fine so let's say even if they're right it's equal i think because of the special unique things about keyforge just putting out something exactly even is not enough which may seem sort of counterintuitive because of course FFG has already said that you know you're always going to be able to use your Coda deck in the future. They're not cycling anything out, so you might think that even sets is the perfect place to be. However, when you open your first Coda deck, you're starting from square one. When you open your first AOA deck, I mean, I already had 25 Coda decks, right? So it's I'm not comparing it to nothing. I'm comparing it to all these other decks I've already accumulated. So you know, opening one that might be average there is, is really not going to be exciting and not going to, I think, fuel people to buy more and open more. 
right? I want to open that first deck and see it like, oh, wow, you know, this can compete with, you know, my top third decks. Like, this is really cool. I want to see what else is in this set to explore. I think that's important um, that the sets are good enough that they can compete right off the bat, not after a lot, a long time, because at that point, it's almost too late, I think, save the face of the set by and large. Yep. So here's hoping Worlds Collides comes out, collides our worlds. Um, there's a faction of people also that are kind of hoping that's maybe a paper, rock, scissors thing where Worlds Collides um, kind of neuters Coda, but has a hard time against AOA, where AOA has a little bit more of a struggle against Coda, but does really well against Worlds Collide, aka. So you got a little paper, rock, scissors, which I think would be really cool for the game. Like if that's the way it comes out, that'd be really neat because that really. Uh, it makes it exciting again because like if you go to a tournament you're you know you're really considering well if i take you know you just you kind of have that in the back of your mind and i mean that won't be super solid throughout but you know it could exist and it would just be really interesting for the competitive archon arena if that were to um come to fruition yeah and if you don't agree with this at all let it feel free jump in the discord shoot us a message on twitter let us know i'm definitely Excited to see other opinions about this because I know it's something that people might feel strongly about. Yeah, or maybe we're not actually one stood against many. We're many stood against one. <laughs> yeah. Let the play wars begin. <laughs> that's all I have to say. All right. I think that's it for this show. I think we did pretty good here. Nice, clean, yeah, great. clean show. Efficient. Yeah, so you can find me. I'm Dan is someone on Twitter and Twitch. I haven't been on Twitch as much with the introduction of Prince Nolan into my household, but yeah, I don't know when that's going to come back again, but I'll try. Uh, Jake, where can people find you? I am at Jake Freed on Twitter. That's J-A-K-E-F-R-Y-D. Um, and just want to say thanks again to everyone who supports this show, whether it's on Discord, Twitter, or our Patreon backers. Yes. Doesn't he sound so lovely with his new mic that he doesn't have to hold in his hand up to his mouth anymore? <laughs> And Alex, where can people find you on these social internets? Uh, I'm mostly, uh, you can you can add me on Facebook if you want to. Uh, Alex Blodnick on Facebook. Um, I don't really do uh, Twitter or uh, Instagram, but you can uh, mostly find me on the Sanctimonious Discord. I'm at uh, the Nick of Slots. Um, I think it's 6412. <laughs> Just find me. Just yeah, join the Sanctimonious Discord, and then you get to hear uh, all my ram- ramblings uh, uh, live. They're, they're good ramblings. We are all better for hearing them and then getting to <laughs> steal your ELO. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, man Dan, bringing me, you bring, bringing me way down. Oh, my goodness. I, I destroyed Mr. 1900. So congrats to getting to 1900 and being the first person on the Crucible Tracker to get there. And sorry, I... Uh, tore you all the way down but i see that you're back up again but above me again where you belong slowly climbing my way back up there <laughs> thanks for joining us alex uh, i think we're just gonna have to bring you back definitely again uh even more it's always awesome to record with you really appreciate your time yeah yeah anytime um, i love recording with you guys always happy to talk KeyForge, and uh you know just I, I'll, I'll talk to an empty room so if i actually can get somebody to listen to me i'll I, i'm all about that <laughs> Archons of the Crucible. What is better than two nights? Three nights! Welcome, Sir Alex, back to the inner sanctum. Through the airwaves, into your ear holes, and into your hearts. Get out there now and forge those keys.